Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Jackie Koch, your host. And today I kind of got to nerd out with a fellow people and culture executive and leader. And I was so impressed with her, how she has drastically come in to her organization and shook up the way that people and culture teams and HR teams are set up. And literally, it was such a breath of fresh air. And I'm really excited for you guys to listen in. I talk with Leslie Guinness. Leslie is a teacher gone tech. She transitioned from teaching to people operations and more at a tech consulting company. And she's been there for three years. And you guys, she scaled the company from 200 to 600 employees and has built an incredible culture and team. And the way that she's done it is like nothing I've ever seen because she is not a traditional HR executive. She made a career transition in the middle of the pandemic to move away from teaching and move into leading HR. And I'm so excited that you get to listen in on how we chat through this. And I know that she is going to be making waves out there in the way that HR teams are set up and function in the future. So you're going to learn how you can actually be a coach and create a great place for your team to be. And that is what you want if you are likely a regular listening to this show is you want to be a good boss. And this is going to give you some tips and tools on how to be a good coach to them as well. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey, Leslie, thank you for coming on the show and for tuning in across the pond. Is that what people say or is that a really big nerdy thing to say? I think you could still say it across the pond, across the Atlantic. Jackie, thanks for having me. So excited you're here. Share with listeners, where are you based? Where do you live now? Okay, so I'm a Jersey girl, grew up in New Jersey, lived many years in New York City as well, and then married an Italian, and then we decided eventually to move to Italy, and that was nine years ago. So we kind of settled down with our roots here in Turin, Italy, northeast of Milan. A couple of our really good friends just moved there as well. Well, I shouldn't say just, they've been there now for three years. I think they're in Florence. They love it, love that they made the move, so... You probably have a built-in family, of course, over there. So you probably got acclimated really, really well. Yeah, I had some support there. Moving abroad, speaking of that, is wonderful. And my first years there was fine. And I had a job and I worked with Italians and I stumbled through it linguistically. And it was awesome. I'm so glad I had that experience because it really boosted my level of Italian. But you get to a point where I was just kind of hitting a wall in terms of my career in the geography that I was living in. So the pandemic hit and then I started looking for remote work and I found CleverTech. So that was kind of my intro to the remote world in 2020. What a way to venture into remote work in 2020. I mean, I even remember transitioning our company from in an office to remote in LA where everyone was within like four miles of the office. And that was stressful. I can't imagine starting... I'm not going to say over, but starting in remote work in the middle of a pandemic while you're in Italy, where it's hitting you like a lot. We in were all the of- epicenter. Yeah, we were right there smack dab in the middle. And so I also had my start date of Clever Tech was my second born six month, Bertla celebrated her six months at home. 
And yeah, we made it work. And I was transitioning careers. So I had never worked in people operations or culture before. So this was my first experience in a people ops culture remote environment. A lot of learnings. So what was your career before you moved into, you know, people and culture? So yeah, I was in education. I was a teacher for many years. Then I transitioned and I was a teacher in bilingual schools in a school called Avenues. It's kind of a really unique situation. It was a startup, started in New York City. We had maybe 400 kids the first year and then we grew exponentially subsequent years, opened campuses in globally, Miami, Shenzhen, Silicon Valley, Sao Paulo. And so it was like I was a founding teacher there and then with the head of the Spanish Emergent Department there. So that was my real experience with like hands-on leading a team of 35 diverse teachers from all over the world where I needed to kind of get everybody on the same page, align processes and procedures and kind of really figure it out as we were flying the plane and building it at the same time. That was my first real hardcore experience there. Wow. So I'm sure there's people who listen to the show or they know people who are in a similar position where they're starting to want to explore a career change. I'm really interested to talk through how you kind of thought about where you wanted to move into and how did leading people in culture, leading HR bubble to the top as a transition for you? So I asked lots of people, I was like, what do you notice about me that I'm good at? And it kept circling back to people feel safe and good around me. And so that must have been the teacher in me. You know, you have to keep all of your students safe and they are all seen. So I have a really good ability to see all sides, to see everything holistically and to kind of zoom in on what needs to be addressed or fixed. That was like the big umbrella. And then as I was talking to friends and acquaintances in my network, people were like, you should go into HR. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do HR. I really kind of wanted something a little bit different than HR, which was kind of team building, culture building, getting people engaged and getting people comfortable enough to enter in with me to the company or wherever we are. I think a teacher is one of those people who's really equipped to do that. Yeah, Um, totally. I'm going to be very stereotypical. Like I went to college with an HR minor. I had Mm -hmm. started my career in recruiting. I had a few little steps out into other types of career, but this has been kind of what I've done my whole life, my whole career. And I often think now that I've been in the kind of head of HR seat at different companies, that honestly, the best people to move into HR are people who've been in other parts of business, like moving somebody from the ops team or, you know, other parts of a company tend to do the best because you understand so many different dynamics and you have different skills. Because a lot of times when you just kind of go the traditional HR path, you just kind of learn the rules and you just don't learn as much about those like other skills that are needed. Have you found that at all as you've been growing a team? A hundred percent. So I think of my role kind of like if you kind of compare it to the medical world, you have a surgeon who takes care of the heart and you have somebody else who takes care of the bones and you have, you know, all these different departments, but then HR needs to take care of the whole body. And so as I was transitioning into this, I was also humble, right? So when you come into a new career, you have a dose of humility because you don't know what you're doing. So you have to ask and you have to be inquisitive and you kind of have to go back to the basics. And even like, you know, I'd have to ask the product team, like, so how do things work for you? I'm curious. I have no idea. And so I'd have to talk to the recruiting team and I'd have to engage with them to be like, okay, what is it exactly that you do in your area? You know, I'd have meetings with the CEO and with the COO 
And so I was able to gather information of all of these little departments and see where we are overlapping, where we're missing spots where we should be overlapping. We just had a meeting meeting with the accounting department and our offboarding people to make sure they're all aligned in terms of like communications and how we're doing it. And I'm just the person and the glue that brings it all together kind of seamlessly to get things finished. Yeah, for sure. You're kind of like the puppet master. I always like to say, I know I've done a good job when the thing I want to happen happens through somebody else. Or Uh I hear somebody else repeat something I said to them Mm -hmm. as if it was their idea. I'm like, you know what? Great. My work is done. You often don't get the credit where credit is due, which is just part of the job, I guess. Yeah, that's really hilarious because we were talking earlier. I recently just kind of cut my hours back to go part time because I kind of made myself obsolete. I got everybody where they needed to be, which is like a good thing, right? It's tough for me to like say I'm only going part time because all of these other things are in place and moving. But at the same time, it's working out for me personally and working out for the company. And that kind of adaptability on my part and the company's part to accept both of those terms is perfect. It's a testament to you being like a really good leader in that you kind of have made yourself obsolete. Isn't that really the goal of any manager for that to happen? So kudos to you. Yeah. So we also wanted to talk about how we build that culture. That's where I was going to go next. Talk to me about how you thought about intentionally building a culture remotely from a whole nother country. I'd love just to dive into how you even thought about doing that and how you actually executed it with your teammates. Yeah. So it's obviously not a one-person show doing it. The team started out with myself, Ellie, who is the director of culture at Clevertech. And she and I together built the team and saw it coming all together as we were doing it, trying and failing and trying and winning and reflecting on what we did. But what we realized we needed to get people kind of weaved into the company culture. And how do we do that in a remote environment? Obviously, like we've said before, not the same way you do in a company. So we have to create and be very intentional about it. And so as we were building our team, we knew we needed people who were going to be able to do and be intentional about creating that culture. And we worked together. We continued to like brainstorm ideas. How are we going to get people engaged on this initiative, on this internal training about giving feedback, right? This is something huge that we're working on as a team in all of our corners to get a real dynamic feedback loop going on all the teams. Because people need to know how they're doing. The performance review every six months doesn't really work. We want to know what's going on on a daily, weekly basis. That's where the real nuggets of, you know, areas of improvement or recognition for tasks accomplished or like, you know, products launched. So we do that in many different ways, like reaching out to people all the time. We are constantly knocking on the proverbial remote door, which is DMing people, creating smaller spaces where people can engage in meaningful activities that they can bring back to their client, that they can bring back to their team so that they can execute the feedback, right? That's the one thing we're working on right now. So it's top of mind, how to have the conversations. Who takes the lead on these things? Is it the people operations team or is it managers specifically? At your company, I would imagine you and I think the same on who it should be, but I'm curious how that actually rolls out. And actually, before we get to that, Can we set a little background as like, how big is the company now? Like how many employees are there? Just so we can get an idea of how many employees we're talking about here. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's about 600 employees altogether. Holy, Um, I didn't realize it was that big. Okay, 600. When Natalie and I started, it was about 200 in three years. Yeah, still big, 200 people. We grew to 600. So Natalie and I and the culture team, what we called it was the culture team, 
grew to eight people. And so now we're a team of eight who take care of the other 600 people. Well, it's kind of divided in different ways. We're the people and culture team. Then there's the recruiting team. There's a team of product analysts. Then there's the client team of software developers. And then there's an accounting team. So we have all of these different teams. And like I was saying before, we as the people and culture find the overlaps and are like the air traffic controllers of like, if anybody has a question, I know who you can ask. And so making myself obsolete with either documentation or the proper training, I don't need to be directing people around anymore. Know where to go. That communication has, I want to say organically happened, but like has been planted and is now being harvested. Well, I guess I should ask, do you guys have a structure where you do have managers and team leaders leading some of the other teams? Yeah, I guess what's the reporting structure like? We have everything that you can imagine and everything in between. So like we have teams of one, then we have teams of 20 with three different tech leads or maybe three different pods. And then so everything that you can imagine in between, you have a team of four with one lead or something like that. And so those are all QA analysts that work on the client projects. The culture team then takes care of all of them in the sense that we are eight people and we're divided up different developers and people in the company that we coach and we talk to on a bi-weekly basis, just checking in. Hey, how are you doing? What are your accomplishments, successes, goals, troubles? And we talk about anything. It could be talking about like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. I'm having a baby and I don't know how I'm going to do it. And like talking about personal things, integrating it into the day because they're home, right? Like there's also that home element of remote work that really you have to be intentional with the conversations you have with people because if somebody's out because they're sick, you maybe saw them two days before looking, oh, they're not looking so good. And then they're out sick the next day. But when it's remote, you don't really know those and have those little clues. Or even like if somebody, I don't know, buys a new house or something, you know, we want to celebrate those things with people. So those are the conversations that my team also have with people to, again, make them feel engaged and supported because people need time off or they need to adjust something based on their personal life. So we talked about that. And that's one part of it. But the other part that's really quite fun is talking about their work and how they can set goals for themselves in terms of what they want to achieve, the skills they want to build, and how they want to go about doing that. And we're just somebody that like holds them accountable to it and pushes them to really do what they want to do. And we get them to decide on what they want to do and how they want to do it. So that's one of the main things that the whole team, everybody on the team has a portion of their day is dedicated to doing that. I think what is for us our secret sauce of making a remote culture really work. And then there's lots of other ingredients that you can sprinkle in there, like in Mm -hmm. Slack groups and chats and internal trainings and all sorts of things that you can kind of weave into there. Real quick, do you ever find yourself listening along to this and being like, well, shit, I wonder if I'm doing everything right from a legal and compliance perspective. Now, I've said this a lot, but I'm not an attorney, so nothing I share is legal advice. But... Over the last 15 years, I've worked with a lot of employment attorneys on a lot of different things related to people in HR. So I've learned a thing or two about helping a business stay compliant with the people stuff and implement some of the best practices so you can cover your ass, which is why I'm so excited about a free compliance and best practices checklist we've created over at my company, People Principles. It literally walks you step-by-step how to conduct an HR audit similar to what we do when we onboard new clients. So go grab your free copy over at peopleprinciples.co 
and you'll see it right there on the homepage. Now back to the show. Yeah, so it sounds like you guys are more coaches than police officers. I think a lot of times HR people can be like, oh, this person's struggling. Like, can you talk to them? Or like, there's a question about a policy that the manager doesn't want to be the bearer of bad news. So like, oh, go talk to HR. (laughs) It sounds like you guys are a lot more in that coaching role, which is awesome. Because if you're playing more in that space, I imagine the other stuff just kind of doesn't become issues because you're talking about them as they come up a little bit more. It's getting to that conversation before it needs to be police. And so like right away, I'm in there. So I do all the onboarding and I'm right there for the first few months. I'm like, hey, you have to talk to me. Just talk to me. Tell me what's going on. We're going to work this out. Don't worry. I'm not here to micromanage you. I don't even know really anything about technology that you guys do. So that's you. You do that. You go to your client. That's where you go. But to me, just tell me what's going on. Talk to me so that I can support you through this to make sure everything's going well. You know, I reiterate all the time, I am not micromanaging you when I like send you that text message or that DM. How are you doing? What were your successes this week? I really, truly just want to know what went well. I want to open the door so that they can tell me something if they need to. Whether it's like another teammate of theirs who's like not showing up or not doing well. I can open the door for somebody to say, you know what, listen, so-and-so is not really showing up to the meetings and I don't know how to have that conversation with him. I'll say, okay, great. So that's really important that he show up. So we have to tell him that and say, it's really important that you go. And I'll coach him through how to have that conversation with his teammate so that the teammate doesn't get fired two months from now because he never showed up to anything. He at least gets the chance to hear, hey, you need to show up for these meetings and be present and lean in. Yeah. And then I imagine the next time you talk to that person, you're like, so how'd the conversation go? Because they know you're going to ask them how it went. You know, it's there's that follow up. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So then who gives like feedback on their actual job performance? If you're not like the one who really knows how to do all the tech, when do those conversations happen? So those conversations come from either the client will tell us this guy's great, he's outstanding, wonderful, da, da, or this guy's not delivering well or isn't fa- delivering fast enough. How can we speed this up? And sometimes it's like, okay, then we need to go way back and set expectations like, and help the client and the team understand what the expectations are. And then also from their teammates. So that's what we're really working hard on is to get that constant feedback flow with people on their team to say like, you're doing really well here. Or you need help with something else. Okay, so this is an example. One of my teammates, Paris, one of the developers that Paris coaches, I asked this other guy for feedback on his teammate. And he said a couple things. And then I was like, okay, have you told this guy? And he was like, yeah, I actually did talk to him about it. He's aware of it. And I was like, okay, awesome. So when I go coach my person, I can say, I heard you had a conversation with Vinny and you need to work on these things. And I was like, that's awesome that you did that. And just, what made you do that? And he's talking to Paris, my coach about it made me realize and notice that it's not only about the numbers and things that I'm delivering directly. My job as a leader is to assist and illuminate the entire team to achieve what is needed. It was so simple, but kind of flipped the switch in my mind about how work is going these days. Hmm. So basically he's saying he didn't realize that he needed to give feedback until his coach helped him figure out that it's a service, you know, it's going to help the whole team. He needs to tell people when they're not doing well. He also needs to tell people when they are doing well. Yeah. So interesting. I love the way that you guys have set up the team. I haven't ever really heard of a structure like this where, you know, you're checking in kind of being what traditionally I think a lot of managers would do, right? You're kind of filling that seat. But I do think because 
you are not the direct manager, it opens up the ability to have more personal conversations a little bit more. So I really love the way that that's set up. I guess thinking about folks listening to the show, they may be a smaller team where they don't have somebody on the team who's being the coach to everybody. I know you kind of walked through it, but like, is there like a framework, maybe like a three-step framework, I don't know what it is, that you guys talk about every week when you meet that they could start doing with their team, even if they are the CEO or the boss? I think incorporating some of the stuff that you are doing in these one-on-one meetings with everyone could be so impactful for their one-on-ones. It's the art of the question. I think you just have to think about the questions that you ask and how you can either give somebody something to hang on and talk through, or you can give somebody the escape to, to avoid answering or engaging. So I have a bunch of different question lists pulled up one. And one of them is what's bringing you joy lately, right? If they got nothing to say, I'm like, okay, maybe there's something wrong on the project. Maybe they're overstressed or the requirements aren't clear. So I'll dig a little deeper. I'll be like, oh, that's great that your weekend plans were awesome. It's lovely to hear that. But is there anything at work that's bringing you joy? No, not really. Well, what's going on? Tell me about it. And then they'll kind of unravel what the problem is. And then once we know what the problem is, he and I, or she and I, we can kind of try to tackle it and say, okay, you're not getting any joy out of your work. What's happening there? And we can try to kind of address it. Other questions like, what have you noticed and learned about yourself in the past four months? Like if we're doing a longer check-in, having them like sit and like journal or think for like a minute, literally having an awkward minute where somebody's on a Zoom writing down what they're thinking about and then sharing it with you because the human mind tends to focus on the negative. And then if you ask them to look back, they'll be like, oh, this went wrong, that went wrong. Or like they'll think of one good thing. Um, but if you give them a little bit more time, they can dig mm-hmm. deeper. And what's a crossroads that you're at, either in your life or in work? What's an effective stress regulation strategy? We all know things happen stressful, especially like I'll ask that question if I know a certain team or a client team is having issues or problems or their deadlines mm-hmm. coming up. How do you effectively handle stress? And then we can talk about ways that they can handle stress happening. So I think, you know, just having a bank of questions is really like game changer. Totally. Something that comes up, people can tell your intention behind asking the question too, you know? So it's like sometimes as a boss, I think people ask questions trying to lead people to answers versus a genuine inquiry and wondering and a curiosity. So I think like the intention behind how you ask it is always so important. And I think the way that you guys have structured how you support your teams and the business, they know your good intentions, I would imagine, because they see how they come out. They don't ever run into political issues where you backstab them. Like it takes time, I think, for them to trust you. So that what's going to be my next question is, Do you run into situations where people like show up and they're like, I'm not talking to you. You're not getting anything from me. And like, how do you break through that? All the time, all the time. But I think a couple of different things. One is we really, in our recruitment process, look for people who are open, curious, and engaged in general. And we know that that's what they need to be successful here. So if we see any kind of like indication that they're not going to lean in and be open, that that's not a great hire for us, but it does happen nonetheless. Of course. The second thing is just like kind, calm persistence. And I often say to them, I'm like, listen, the bottom line of the business is to make money. That's what they want to do. That's what businesses do. We know that if you're happy and taken care of 
in your personal life and in your professional life, your deliverables and everything that you do is going to be much higher quality. So in my like honest, curious answering, like asking of questions, I really do want you to be happy and successful because that's going to make the company and the business bottom line, you know, do what it needs to do. So I kind of say it to them in a joking way to just point out the fact that like, yeah, we do care about you because we care about the business and we want it to be a win-win for everybody. Kind of softens it. And then once they realize they have kind of their team aspect, and I don't know the inner workings, I don't have contact with like everybody on their team. So they know that it's just, it's them and us and in this conversation. So I think once they kind of unwrap all that, they're much more warm to it. So are there any like platforms or tools that you've implemented across the business that really help kind of create that sense of community and workflows back and forth? Tools, tools. People always I heard Slack. So I guess that's yeah. probably one. Yeah. We use Slack, Loom videos. We also have a sub stack, which is also like a great, we write articles, weekly articles about soft skills, which is most of what our coaching is about. That is often a, like a bouncing board, like the conversations we have with people. What else do we have? We use Loom. We make videos with Loom to like put it in our wiki so that I'm not repeating myself a hundred times. Just click and listen. I mean, I love that. It's no, not super I mean, complicated. We just have, like, internal trainings that some are, some are recorded. No, it's not. And, and the thing is, we also have, and this is another secret that we do, is we basically do all of our software ourselves. So it's custom proprietary software for all of our HRIS hire system, like we build it. So our team basically like help the developers create the tools that we need to track our conversations, to track everything. Yeah. I mean, that's such a luxury of working at a tech company. You can build it directly for you. When there's glitches or problems or, you know, a button's not working, we just like go to our colleague friend and say, hey, we need this function up so that we can keep track of our coaching Well, I love this and I love such a fresh approach. How you're describing that you've set up your culture team is like nothing that I've ever worked in. It's like almost kind of like a dream of how I wish it would have been when I was working in-house or how it should be with companies. What I love about it is you entered into this field with such a fresh lens that you were able to set up the people and culture team in a way that I have never heard of before. And that's because you didn't approach it as like, well, this is how it's always been at this company. This is how we do it here. And look at the magic that it's created. And I think that's so wonderful. We were a school, right? So we had classrooms, we had teachers, we had assistant teachers. Then we had parents. So we had to make sure the parents were involved in all of the decisions. Avenues was a very prestigious school. So we basically, all the parents that we consider like the CEO or the client, we have to make the client really happy. The students are the product. Just making those comparisons and how you track student data, like, that's an easy switch. Well, as we kind of start to wrap up, I feel like there's listeners to the show who will be like, okay, how does Leslie come help me set this up? I just can see a world and I have a few business ideas for you that I will chat with you about after this. But I think there's such a need for what you've created here to be recreated in so many other companies. And so I'm so excited I got a chance to chat with you today. Is there a place that listeners can at least connect with you and learn from you? And where would be the best place to direct them? Sure. Just go directly to LinkedIn. Find me there, Leslie Janace on LinkedIn. I try to post weekly minimum, a little nugget of something funny or, you know, curious that that week. And then Hovertech has a sub stack for devs soft skills for devs, it's great to look into too. 
but I also will have a lot of extra time because I've just kind of windled down to working part-time. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to kind of explore other options and, and see if this magic can work in other contexts, which I'm sure it can. Oh, so many contexts. You're definitely onto something. And it says a lot that you can scale a company to 600, from 200 to 600. Like you normally cannot do that well without lots of issues. And you don't come across as someone who's had to deal with a lot of stressful people issues. And so I think there's something to be learned from. So I really appreciate yeah. you coming on the show today and sharing some of this knowledge. And Thank you. So fun talking to you. Listeners, make sure you go follow her follow the Substack. And thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we'll chat with you again soon. We hope you're feeling inspired and ready to take things up a notch in your business. And just wanted to remind you that if you want access to the tools, strategies, and guidance you need, our on-demand HR program might be perfect for you. Say goodbye to corporate HR rules because hello, that's not how I roll here if you've listened to a few episodes. And say hello to straightforward, actionable advice designed just for your small business and actually for you individually because you get unlimited email and DM access to our team, including me. It's like having your own HR consultant on speed dial. So don't wait. Take your small business to the next level with our on-demand program at peopleprinciples.co forward slash on-demand. We're here to support you every step of the way of building and leading and managing your team. Thanks for being a part of our community and we'll see you in the next episode.